The Soul of an Internet Machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a business and a software development team figuring their way through the challenges of launching a new venture. We make the occasional good decision, spend time following bad ones, and get trapped by world events. Ping me, Christina Moore, on Twitter at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike, C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP, or at the website, ChristinaMoore.us. Chapter 10. Primary, secondary, tertiary. Got a plan? Many don't. I know that. Around here, if there is one plan, there are three plans. We've got to have the primary plan, then the backup plan, plan B as it may be, then the other plan for when it goes entirely wrong. My husband calls it belt and suspenders. Belts and braces for my friends and listeners east of me. Yet it goes deeper than that. PST, or primary, secondary, tertiary, is a phrase that acknowledges that things go wrong and one must be prepared with a primary plan, a secondary or backup plan, and a tertiary or contingency plan. In business, in technology, at sea, and even at home, one must be able to sustain operations and life with multiple simultaneous failures. Even for long-term professionals, even for those reported to be the best in the world, including primary, secondary, and tertiary into daily events proves difficult. Sadly, The greatest reminder of incorporating PST into the planning process is a catastrophe. Two things happen when stuff goes wrong. First, we are often slow to recognize failure. Second, we are often slower at asking for help. That things go wrong has typically typically been a hard lesson to teach. Maybe 2020 helps us all learn that things do go wrong, horribly wrong, unpredictably wrong. And the cascade of errors, issues, and fallout rarely follow predictions. From a young age, I sailed for fun, for sport, for holidays, all three sometimes. Sailing and working at sea reinforces lessons that things go wrong. A friend looked at me in the eyes after capsizing a small boat in a cold lake. She asked, does this float? and then let it go. We had a lengthy swim to shore towing a boat. 40 years of sailing influences my software development. You must accept that stuff will go entirely wrong. I have scars in each eyebrow, attesting to the kinetic impact of a boom to my head. My husband and I got scolded by an official in Seward, Alaska for sailing our boat into our slip at the docks. My perfect and well-practiced maneuver earned a reckless from that pudding-headed individual. We let him yell. We had the right defense. One, our motor died the day prior. Two, we maneuvered perfectly and hit nothing. That's it. Sailboats have extra sails. They have one or two motors. Sometimes they have oars. Systems have backup systems. Backup systems have contingency plans. A primary radio, a backup radio, backup communications, flares, flow plans, etc. I know I'm writing about software programming as I wander in thought about messing about on boats. I write this podcast during a near blizzard in the hills of southern Vermont. I expect that the power will fail today. It failed on a team member in Massachusetts yesterday. Our team has always worked from home, or rather worked from where they are, which really means work from where you want to be. Power failures must be an expected operational activity for our team. Our software supports the financial recovery of natural disasters, and our private clients expect us to have the resiliency to work through obstacles. 
Our firm adopted the Incident Command System, or ICF, as promoted by FEMA and other federal agencies. While ICF typically identifies a common hierarchy for responders to an emergency scene, it also involves drafting incident action plans. Our firm wrote incident action plans for as many failures as we could imagine. Then occasionally, someone, like me, breaks things without warning, flipping our team into response mode. I do this on purpose to create a drill and remind people of our role in crisis management, even our own. The most common failure we face, even after years of practicing, is that we fail to recognize failure. Just like all other human beings, we doubt the data in front of us. We cycle through a series of thoughts. This can't be happening. It was working just fine. I didn't do anything. Getting our brains to accept that something went wrong takes training, experience, and a few ticks on the clock. In the U.S. military, this delay is identified as from flash to bang, drawing on the physics related to the difference in time it takes for an image to travel, speed of light, versus the time it takes for the sound to travel, speed of sound. The denial of a problem persists through another phase. As we start to understand something might be slightly wrong, we willingly think something good will happen next. The indicator, dial, error report is wrong. It will reset. Someone else will fix this. This isn't our problem, but somebody else's problem. Normal humans do this. First, we don't really accept what is happening is happening. And second, we doubt our own assessment whilst expecting salvation. If I were to disable the Tomcat server right now on our development environment, it would generate a 504 error message on a web browser for the development team. Tomcat is a server that sits between our desktops and the Oracle server with Apex. Disabling that server would be the flash in reference to the military phrase from flash to bang. Measuring the time between breaking a service and notification from others helps me gauge how well our people step through the first two challenges recognizing failure, and acting on that recognition. Stephanie Stevie Dickerson joined our team as an apprentice programmer and earned her title as Manager of Development Services. She spent years with the U.S. Navy as a nuclear machinist mate on the USS George Washington, an aircraft carrier. She joined our team well-trained on her primary, secondary, and tertiary actions. There are no small problems with nuclear engines. And as a nuclear machinist mate, one cannot expect salvation from anyone else. Few people run towards a problem in a nuclear engine room. You are the it. She was on board in May of 2008 when a serious fire broke out that injured 37 sailors. The fire spread via cableway and ventilation ducting, causing extreme temperatures in work areas on board the ship. Want to know what happens with a warship or any ship at sea during a crisis? The command and crew's efforts must simultaneously manage the crisis and manage the ship. You have 5,000 human beings on a rather expensive ship that must stay afloat and get somewhere safe. During the 12 hours of firefighting, nearly every other essential function on board must continue. Nuclear engines do not turn off with a switch and Oh, they keep the ship moving, and the crew needs to eat and poo. The ship must navigate and communicate. Systems damaged during the fire need to restart under contingency operations. Unlike a school bus, you just can't pull to the side of the road and ask all to jump out the back door. Although, 
practicing jumping out of the back of a yellow school bus tended to be my very favorite day in primary school. If curious, read about the aftermath of this fire in 2008 that cost the U.S. taxpayers $70 million to repair. After action reports identified failures with training, failures with preparedness, failures with inspections, failures with following procedures. The most critical called the fire preventable given a cigarette butt was flicked next to improperly stowed flammable materials. The smoker should not have been smoking there and oh, the materials should not have been there either. When discussing this cascading set of failures with Stevie, she offered up a few more details about her personal experience. Her general quarters station during the fire was in Shaft Alley, about seven decks down into the ship, where the propeller shaft transits the hull. Just beyond the bulkhead wall of her duty station was part of the jet fuel storage area, and near where she was working, the fire raged, and sailors used a plasma cutting torch to rescue someone. Failures fall on a spectrum. Catastrophic failures tend to follow a series of smaller and observable failures. I just want to say, embrace failures, study failures, learn from failures. Little failures, little failures, then oops, more failures. Then people get hurt and possibly die. I am writing about software development, right? I am. I I seem to be discussing sailboats and aircraft carriers. Here is a trick question. Well, one, I don't wish to be a trick question, but it appears to be. The first thing to do when something goes wrong. What is acknowledge the problem? We expect people on our team to have a primary plan and several contingencies. When planning an upgrade to production software, I expect to hear a plan for the actions, including timelines. The narrative often begins with, we'll begin at 6 a.m. and I will, and the steps are detailed. Changes to data in data tables, exporting and importing the Apex application, testing the application. We encourage a four-eyes approach to these evolutions. Four-eyes meaning two people. One executing tasks and one watching for errors and missteps. I then ask, how do you know if you're failing? Maybe I should be more polite and ask, how do you know when to fall back on your secondary plan? What's wrong with failure? As software developers, we learn early to embrace failure. Nothing works the first time we write it, does it? A failure, given you don't burn eight decks and injure 37 sailors, identifies opportunity and sometimes improvement. Failures make up the thousands of baby steps we take. Failure is not a bad word, nor a bad moment, normally. It must be accepted into our daily life and work. Want to know what I sound like while playing a piano? I've never played the instrument. I'm certain I would fail entirely. Put me on a bench with the sheet music for Beethoven's Fur Release, and I couldn't play it. Some days, I can find middle C. So what? Should I never try? Of course not. I should. I must accept the difficulties and the failures that will follow as I learn. I grew up with amazing musicians, and have been watching people play piano all of my life. I'd love to play the piano, even badly. On my computer keyboard, I am masterful and fast. My typing and writing will likely not translate to the piano. That's okay. Failures ought not to be the measure of inability or lack of talent or even a barrier. Failure often feels like a barrier when it should not be. I worked for Cisco Systems for years as a field engineer. 
During these years, my boss is required that I continually earn credentials and certifications. In short, it required reading a book and taking an exam, or taking a class, reading a book, then taking an exam. Each quarter, I had to sit in a sterile room with video cameras and taking some damned exam. I hated failing. Sweat dripped down my nose. Anxiety clouded my thinking. My friend, Sergeant First Class Parker, who had already had a long career of taking stupid tests for the U.S. Army, said, You never fail an exam. You're either reconnoitering the exam or you earn the certificate. Yoda might have said it better, right? Do or do not. There is no try. Do and do again. Learning to accept and work through the failures should be a skill we're taught. Like falling when skiing, getting soaked when sailing, not knowing where Middle Sea is without a glance. Stevie, when discussing the George Washington, said, The reason people hid hazardous materials all over the ship was that it often took four hours to get them from ship stores. There'd be lines. If you needed paint thinner, you'd have to requisition it, stand in line to get it, then also to return it. Storing hazmat like they did came about because the right way proved so difficult. It was a workaround to a difficult set of rules. The rules intended to improve the safety of an aircraft carrier and those who served on her resulted in one of the many tiny failures that initiated the cascade towards catastrophic failure. The effort to acknowledge failure, to embrace failure, may, often, break the cascade before it happens. The simple phrase, I see a problem, serves as a key to unlock so many of these issues. Of course, New Yorkers and then the rest of the United States heard variants of this statement for nearly two decades now. Today, it serves as a punchline to jokes that are not funny. Two decades of posters and electronic signboards that read, See something? Say something. Even I, who did my first ambulance call and fought my first fire at the age of 18 or 19, thought the phrase creepier than useful. Was I to spy on my neighbors? More obviously, one is to report the errant backpack dropped and abandoned on Boston's Boylston Street. Planning to manage an evolution or event requires a degree of acknowledging the futility of the effort. An old army adage states, no plan survives the first bullet. Frankly, planning has truly improved past this point. Plans must incorporate the likely, the possible, the unlikely, and complete failure. I have led meetings and attended meetings where participants dismiss this level of scrutiny. We can't plan for failure. It pops into our vernacular frequently. Failure is not an option. Of course failure is an option. Failure happens. We write plans to prevent or avoid failure, which means failure must be an integral part of the plans. To wrap one's arms around the belly of failure, to look at failure, to name it as a failure, to slog through the recovery of a failure, to laugh at past failures, to learn from failures, to feel the sting of failures, all a necessary part of a team's shared experience. There should be a quarter note beat between oops and the next action. We only want to shorten the span of time between flash and bang, between oops and act. We really want to shorten the time between flash and response. The first thing to do when something goes wrong is see it, acknowledge it, accept it, name it, and the second thing to do is react. The delay between seeing and acting remains slow enough. Within this cognitive delay hides the art of the magician, the boxer, the pickpocket. 
Few of us can catch a dollar bill or a euro note when it hangs between our fingertips. You know the childhood game, don't you? One friend says to another, I'll give you this buck if you can catch it. The fingers close on empty air. The bill flutters like a leaf in autumn. We're just not fast enough. We tend to make our responses even slower by not first acknowledging the need to act. Some professions depend on staff that act without hesitation. When in an ambulance squad bay or at a firehouse, the sound of the alarms announcing an emergency triggers near instantaneous movement. Few firefighters and EMTs sit there saying, let's see if this alarm will clear or that's someone else's problem. Some citizens expect a response when emergency services are called. Other people, when they see something go wrong, tap the dial, reset the alarm, find a way to argue with the facts. I've been in office buildings with the fire alarm going off. I walk out immediately. I rise, gather my kit, and get. That's not the moment to finish a call, to finish a meeting. No, it's a horrible and loud noise with flashing lights. It's screaming at all those near to take immediate action. Yet, the next time you're in such a situation, count the people sitting still. Want to tell me the fire alarm disrupts productivity? Want to tell me that the fire alarm is faulty? Well, if each time we react, we can document the issue and make improvements. In other words, fix the alarms. That's rather like the sailors on George Washington informing command that fetching flammable paint thinner from a secure locker is too burdensome, so I put it in this locker or in this room. Then other sailors saying, climbing decks to smoke in designated spots requires too much time and too much effort. I just duck into this locker for a smoke. Everyone does it. The first plan, plan A, the primary plan, lays out the steps from flash to bang, then to objective one. You know the deal. Step one, step two, step three, etc. Then something goes wrong. We encounter failure. The first time I saw the phrase PST was on a banner at the FedEx International Facility in Anchorage, Alaska, where I worked in the mid-1990s. In the middle of this massive facility, the teams did physical stretching and exercises and warm-ups. Supervisors briefed teams on the news of the day, expectations, timelines, flight arrivals, etc. One dynamic leader named Rosie shined during these daily drills. He hammered the importance of PST each and every day. He carried himself with the bearing and charisma of a senior non-commissioned officer. PST stood as his version of Clint Eastwood's phrase, adapt, improvise, and overcome. We've all heard that phrase in the movie Heartbreak Ridge. PST echoes the same sentiment. During my brief tenure with the FedEx software development team, stuff went horribly wrong on us. A plane crashed at the Newark Airport in New Jersey. Servers crashed. Corrupted databases. Oh, what does a software team have to do after a FedEx plane crashes? The answer involves rebuilding detailed manifests of every item on board, then coordinating with vendors and insurers through the financial recovery process. It's all data. Having an MD-11 with millions of Timex products flipped upside down on a runway did not exist in anyone's plans. Why me? I was a member of a software development team living in Anchorage, Alaska, the last stopover for Flight 14. The discipline of acknowledging rapidly changing facts, adapting, then recognizing new objectives, bubbles to the top of the FedEx culture as I then knew it. When I say PST baby to my teammates, I recall dozens of small and big failures in my career. 
when I ask them, how do you know if you're succeeding? I need to know that at each step, we are all evaluating for failures. Don't keep following a plan that is failing. Stop, reassess, and look for contingencies, the secondary plan, the tertiary plan. What is our application upgrade plan for Sunday mornings? It's formulaic. It executes in a few minutes, and it's nearly routine. When it goes wrong, we have customers unable to execute core aspects of their business. They can't manage money, documents, and business processes. You may think that nobody really cares when software developers make a mistake. It's our mistakes, though, that result in data breaches, stolen credit cards, stolen identities, and the like. Software is buried into your phone and into your car. There is software on some doorbells and some televisions. Mistakes software developers make can let dreadful and creepy bastards into our house through these portals. Software mistakes can ruin people's lives. A minority of people in the United States want to blame software and voting machines for the results of the presidential election. Suddenly, software matters. The geeky toolsmiths of the modern age keep cars rolling, control traffic lights, tally election results, and secure our online purchases. We are not allowed to have too many mistakes, and we'd better acknowledge our failures quickly so that we render our lives a bit safer. It's Sunday morning at 6.30, and you're on our team. Looking at the browser, you discover that the application did not upgrade as expected. The clock continues to tick. No way to stop time or stop the clock, unlike American football. 90 minutes remain before paying customers log in. How soon do you recognize you are stuck? Progress is not being made. Another of our team's Polestar phrases is, when swimming towards shore, make sure the shore is getting closer. We all have trouble knowing, acknowledging, and seeing that even though we are working hard, we are not progressing forward. Like sailing in fog or flying in fog, the external points of reference disappear. One of the reasons we put four eyes, two people on critical tasks, is so that we can watch the clock. In a two-hour upgrade window, you must finish in about an hour. Why? So you can execute your contingency plans and revert to the last known good place. Last known good place means restoring data from backups. It takes time and it requires additional staff to help. Budget an hour for the tertiary plan. So a two-hour upgrade window on Sunday mornings needs to be successful with a primary plan within at least the first 15 to 30 minutes. Then test. One person evaluates successes and progress. Within 30 minutes, we need to flip to a secondary plan. If failure is still present, we need to step back from the effort and restore the system to the pre-upgrade environment, the tertiary plan. 25 years ago, a banner hung in the massive FedEx International Facility in Anchorage, Alaska. The banner read, Know your PST, primary, secondary, tertiary. The banner referred to plans, actions, duties, and reinforced the requirements for strong knowledge of the shared mission. That sign resonated with me. My career in IT and my fun activities reinforce the basic lessons that stuff goes wrong. Planning must then incorporate failure. Teams must learn to recognize failure and respond quickly. Failures exist. They're part of everyday life. It's part of our work, our learning, and even our play. Embrace failure as a friend. Learn to accept it. Learn to accept we're not progressing. Learn to accept that the anticipated results differ from reality. 
Clint Eastwood informs the young Marines in Heartbreak Ridge to adapt, improvise, and overcome. A more casual approach to developing a primary plan, a secondary plan, and a tertiary plan. Plans need contingencies, and even contingencies need exit plans. When our team asks PST, we are reminding ourselves that our work matters, our success matters. Teamwork occasionally involves team speak and shorthand phrases. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2020, all rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay too, christina at christinamore.us. Thank you.